Welcome to Law Talk, a podcast series produced by the University of Minnesota Law School, featuring events, webinars, and panel discussions about diverse topics at the intersection of law, policy, and education. This episode, Emerging Stronger, Lessons Learned Since 2020 and Implications for Leadership and Governance, features President and CEO of Health Partners and Minnesota Law alumnus Andrea M. Walsh for the second annual Matheson Lecture in Corporate Governance. Walsh discusses their experiences with leading health partners through a tumultuous past few years with providing effective services for the communities they serve and the lessons and impacts of those experiences going forward. This event was recorded on September 19th, 2022. A video replay of the lecture is available on the Minnesota Law YouTube channel. Subscribe to Minnesota Law Podcast Feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or via your preferred podcast application by searching University of Minnesota Law School for more Law Talk episodes, as well as other podcast content produced by Minnesota Law. Good afternoon, everyone. I guess you're ready to start because it got really quiet. <laughs> welcome, welcome, students, faculty, friends, to the 2022 Matheson Lecture in Corporate Governance. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Gary Jenkins, Dean of the Law School, and it's really wonderful to see all of you today. The Matheson Lecture Series is an endowed annual lecture established by our graduate dean, class of 2008, and his wife, Deanna. Uh, Diana Matheson, and it's in honor of Dean's father, our own much-beloved faculty member, Professor John Matheson. And due to the pandemic and a uh, expecting, uh, expectant little one, uh, Dean and Diana were not able to attend last year's inaugural lecture, uh, but they were able to travel from California today, so I want to give them a huge thanks and round of applause for establishing that. I also want to extend a warm welcome to all the members of Professor Matheson's family that could join us today. Uh, Adam, class of 11, uh, and um, uh, Sarita, also class of 11, Jack and Stuart, uh, we're so thrilled that you all could be here for this terrific event. It's great to see you. As many of you know, John Matheson, the law alumni, distinguished professor of law, and the faculty director of the Corporate Institute embodies the mission of our law school. He's won the Kenyon Award for Excellence in Teaching five times. He's also the first law professor to be honored by the university for outstanding contributions to graduate and professional education. He's been inducted into the Academy of Distinguished Teachers. As a scholar, he's helped, uh, he's, he's published many articles and treaties that help shape effective corporate law doctrine and he's a member of the prestigious American Law Institute. And when it comes to service, John is always giving 
to the institution, to our students in really impactful ways. And he always has great advice for the dean on anything that's important. This year, John celebrates 40 years of teaching at Minnesota Law. It can sometimes be trite to call someone an institution, but in this case, it's accurate, it's fact. We are so lucky, John, to have you a part of our Minnesota Law community, and you make a difference in the lives of our students, our alumni, and your colleagues. So this is really a thrill and an honor to be here for your lecture. Now, additionally, this lecture series also highlights the work of Minnesota Law's Corporate Institute, which was founded and is led by Professor Matheson, but he also works alongside Professor uh, Kristen Hickman and our new executive director of the center, who I know is here somewhere, there she is, Curie uh, uh, Sommermeyer, uh, and under their leadership, the Corporate Institute creates and maintains valuable partnerships with the Twin Cities business community, provides hands-on learning opportunities for our students, and contributes to Minnesota Law's commitment to leadership development. The Corporate Institute prepares students interested in business careers to lead through our business law clinic through corporate extern, the Corporate Externship Program and the Corporate Fellowship Program, as well as by uh, bringing in speakers um, that brings leaders in business law to campus. Uh, they also support our joint degree JD MBA students with the Carlson Program. Uh, we uh, are so thrilled to have the Corporate Institute uh, thriving, and it makes such a difference and is such an important part of our community. Uh, so it's thrill, thrilling um, uh, to, to honor and highlight the work of the Institute through this lecture as well. Here at Minnesota Law, we have many strengths, responsibilities, and powers. And one of those is the convening power, the ability to bring people, thought leaders, scholars, emerging lawyer leaders, alumni, policymakers, the public, together in dynamic ways to discuss and think about important issues. And this lecture causes us to do that as we bring issues of corporate leadership and gover governance to the forefront. As we're all aware, the last few years have brought varied and unique challenges to organizational leaders across the globe, navigating through unprecedented uncertainties while moving businesses and organizations through many crises and phases of the pandemic, all of which have been deeply, deeply challenging. However, we know that whenever, wherever there are challenges, lawyers aren't far behind. Uh, in fact, lawyers are often uniquely asked to step up, to help lead at pivotal moments. One such lawyer leader 
who has been challenged, but has played a pivotal role in our regional health system, is our lecturer for this year, Andrea Walsh, class of 88. She is the president and chief executive officer for Minnesota-based health partners. She oversees the largest consumer-governed nonprofit healthcare organization in the nation with more than 26,000 employees. Health Partners is an integrated health system serving 1.8 million uh, health plan members uh, and patients uh, based in Minnesota, Western Wisconsin. Uh, it includes a care delivery system with a multi-specialty practice group of physicians and dentists, eight hospitals, and a research education institute. Prior to her 2017 appointment as president and CEO, she was part of Health Partners' senior executive team for more than 20 years, including serving as executive vice president and chief marketing officer for nearly 15 years, and serving as senior vice president and corporate counsel prior to that. Earlier in her career, she practiced law, served in government as an assistant commissioner at the Minnesota Department of Health, she is a graduate of the University of Kansas and, of course, the finest law school in the land, the University of Minnesota Law School. She has a long history of community service, currently chairing the boards of the YMCA of the North and the Minnesota Business Partnership. This afternoon, she's going to reflect on lessons from the past couple of years in a, title, in a talk entitled Emerging Stronger, Lessons Learned Since 2020 and Implications for Leadership and Governance. I'd like to invite everyone to a reception uh, that follows. We're gonna have light refreshments upstairs in our back uh, following the lecture. Uh, and, uh, but for now, let's all give Andrea Walsh, this year's Matheson Lecture, a warm welcome back to her alma Thank you. Thank you so much. It is just really great to be here at the law school today. And I want to thank the organizers, Dean Jenkins. It's just a privilege, Professor Matheson, to speak at the second annual governance lecture. So thank you for the invitation. I'm, I really am quite honored. Um, you know, I also want to say thank you to the Matheson family. It's, it's always terrific to see strong family support for the work that all of us do. Um, in the community and in our organization. So uh, a testament to you to have so many University of Minnesota Law School grads in your family. It's terrific. <laughs> he did something right. I wasn't quite as lucky. None of my three ended up going to law school. Um, but nonetheless, um, I think back on my days in the law school and I have a lot of fond memories, actually, of lifelong friendships made, uh, having coffee just right down the hall before class. Um, I think about this room and think of a lot of blue books. Um, and, and I also think about this room and some really terrific lectures, not only in law school, but afterwards in terms of continuing legal education. So I think our, our law school has done a fine job, not only of graduating lawyers who then contribute to the community, but in keeping us connected and pulling us back in that convening role that Dean Jenkins mentioned at the outset. So as, as mentioned, I wanna just take a few minutes today to reflect on some lessons in leadership and some lessons in governance over the course of the last 
couple of years, and I thought where I would start, actually, is in the Health Partners boardroom back in February of 2020. Some of you might recall that. Um, it, it was a time where uh, the novel coronavirus was just hitting the news. It wasn't quite yet called COVID-19. It was just hitting the news. Now at Health Partners, we have a board of 16 members. We convene quarterly to meet, and we periodically have evening updates, educational sessions for board members so we can know and understand emerging topics. And the novel coronavirus back in February of 2020 was exactly the topic at hand. Um, Dr. Mark Sanis, who's the head of our infectious disease program, presented what we knew at the time, and it's captured, this is literally a slide from that um, presentation. And what it reflects was the science and the information we had at that time, which wasn't a whole lot. And frankly, we were thinking in that February of 2020 time period that this novel coronavirus might be like H1N1 or the avian flu or many of the other viruses we've seen come across the globe, none of which have had an impact quite like COVID-19. So as a board, we were, we were thinking about it, thinking we need to keep track of what's going on. And one short month later, just prior to our board meeting, we had to move our board meeting to be virtual because, of course, the world shut down. We all went remote. Um, we didn't shut down entirely. We, we stayed hard at it in our clinics and in our hospitals. But our administrative areas, including our board of directors, had the challenge of governing virtually. Um, and, and I think our organization has done a good job of that, and our board in particular. Dean Jenkins mentioned the Health Partners organization, and I won't spend too much time on it, but, but we are an integrated system, and I think that's important to know as you think about governance and what might be some of the issues that we encounter as a board and as a leadership team as we strive to help people get the care they need when they need it, as people strive to be able to afford care and to afford health care coverage insurance, um, as we promote research and education and strive to keep healthy people in the community. And so these are, these are, are the, um, this is the parts of our organization. Um, it was mentioned we're consumer governed. Some of you might have wondered, what is that exactly? What it is, is at Health Partners is our board is elected from people who carry a Health Partners insurance card. On an annual basis, our board members elect board members. We have four physicians and 15 consumer members. So that's what consumer governance is about. And our fundamental belief is having people in your boardroom who get their care and their health insurance coverage from you helps you make better decisions about what's most important to healthcare consumers. What are people looking for when they seek care and when they seek coverage? It also is a board that's reflective of the community. We have one of the most diverse boards, I think, of health systems across our community here in Minnesota, and it's something I'm really proud of. It's helped us do a better job in addressing and advancing equity, and we have a lot more work to do, and I'll comment briefly on that in just a minute. The other thing that I think is important to know about our organization is we are a nonprofit, but what does that mean? Well, we're an organization that has a mission to improve health and well-being. And we get after that mission in partnership with the people we serve, our patients, our members, and the broader community. So our mission 
speaks to what we hope to achieve. Our vision is how we think about going about it. How do we improve health? Health as it could be, optimizing the individual health of everyone we provide care and coverage to. Affordability as it must be, the recognition that across this country, too many people can't afford to access health care or health coverage. And fundamentally, you can't achieve any of it without relationships built on trust. And so it's really that mission, vision, and our values that over the course of the last couple of years have really helped provide the anchor, the foundation for the lens through which we've looked at everything we've needed to tackle. And that's been particularly important, not only as it's related to the COVID-19 pandemic, which undoubtedly has challenged all health systems across the country, but you might also recall Back in, in 2000, in May of 2000, George Floyd was murdered right here in this community. And racism was brought to the forefront, and I think of it as a dual pandemic. And so elevating the importance of closing healthcare disparities gaps and becoming a community, a place where everyone is welcomed, included and valued, is something at Health Partners we've tried to take to heart, and it's something that has been fundamentally a really important governance issue. So it's not just a management issue, it's been an issue that has been very present in our board mem in our boardroom. So let me now just um, spend a couple of minutes and share four lessons I think that we have taken away from the last couple of years. Um, I, let's face it, it has been a difficult time, no question. I think all of us have been challenged personally and professionally throughout the last couple of years. Our lives have changed in many good ways and in many really challenging ways. And for many of us, we're still sorting our way through it. So as I step back and reflect on the last two years, on the dual pandemics, on the challenges we've faced in a health system where far too many people, as I mentioned, don't get the care they need when they need it because they can't afford it. Where are we at and what lessons do we take away? The first lesson top of my list is about polarities. Let's face it, there is more ambiguity today than there's been in some time, more uncertainty about a lot of things than there has been in some time. And there's a strong by desire by many people in our community to choose either or options. It's this or it's that. And the fact of the matter is far too many of the issues in governance and in leadership are more nuanced than that. It's not this or that. There's a lot of both ands. And our role as leaders and our role in the boardroom is to figure out how do we unify community, how do we build teams that are strong and able to build trust so that people get the care they need when they need it, they know how to access care, and if we're serious about health and well-being, we make sure that's true for every person we serve, not just some. So a couple of, of examples about that need to avoid absolutes in complex issues. The first one would be COVID-19, and I think that's an obvious um, example. Science has emerged over the course of the last couple of years, and it's been confusing for the general public oftentimes to figure out what to do as it relates to COVID, whether to get a vaccine or not, whether to wear a mask or not. And the truth of the matter is, as we learned more, the guidance changed. Also, as we learned more, mistrust by the public increased. Mistrust towards government and, frankly, mistrust towards the healthcare industry that has created 
huge challenges for us as we move forward. Um, so the, the low level of trust or the high level of mistrust in public institutions, in government, in science has really challenged us. Needing to balance in healthcare, we're always looking to balance individual choices in health, individual choices in whether you want care or not care, or, or don't want care, and the responsibility we have as a system to keep people safe and to convey the best science and to practice according to the best science as we know it. Within our board, how did that translate? Well, we had broad support for a vaccine requirement for all of our colleagues at Health Partners, recognizing that if, we, if somebody comes to us for care, we have an obligation to make sure we don't make you sick. We have an obligation to make sure you're healthy, um, as healthy as you can be in our care, and that we provide a healing environment. So it was controversial to put in place a vaccine requirement. I'm really proud to say 93% of our health partners colleagues were fully vaccinated. The other 7% had medical or religious exemptions, which is part of the law, um, where they could make choices based on their values and preferences. So we were able to achieve 100% participation in our program, and I think that was, was um, important. It'll be important as we move forward in that quest to keep people safe. A second example of polarities, and I think it's something we've all experienced not only at work, but at home, relates to public safety. The need for police and law enforcement and simultaneously the real need to enact reforms, both can and are simultaneously true. It shows up in healthcare as we work to build trust, as we work to make sure we're in an environment where people feel safe and welcome in our care and bias doesn't show up, racism doesn't show up. It's true in the community and we see it time and time again. As an organization, the implications for us is we can't let public safety, the, the need, we, we need reforms. We don't believe defunding the police is the way at reforms that are needed. So as an organization, we signed on um, to a leadership le level and we worked legislatively outside our traditional healthcare lane to make sure that the kinds of reforms needed get put in place. Are we there yet? Absolutely not. Does more need to be done? Certainly, yes. But the answer isn't a simple this or that. The answer is we need as a community to come together and, and solve problems. So I'd say, you know, lesson one is about the need to manage polarities, and oftentimes managing polarities isn't, isn't uh, much of a, a popularity contest, if, if you will. You've got to make some choices, and you've got to find that right balance. You can neither be complacent and not move at all, nor move too fast. You, you've got to find that right balance, and I think that's been a lesson. Second lesson, it's about people. How many of you have read about or experienced the great resignation, right? I, I prefer to think about it as the great re-evaluation because I think that is what's going on, that all of us are re-evaluating the relationship that we have with work, how we spend our time, whether it's meaningful or not. And I think um, within uh, a lesson for, for leadership and for governance, is as people make that reassessment, organizations need to think about what kind of environment can you set up so that people um, can see the meaning in work and feel fulfilled in the work that they do. For us within Health Partners, about 
2,500 of our colleagues um, moved home to work remote in 2020 and have been home largely for the last couple of years. As we move forward, we expect many of those colleagues will stay remote. Some of those colleagues will be hybrid, meaning they work remote sometimes, they come in sometimes, and we haven't figured out the right balance exactly, but we know for sure that what we hear from our colleagues is their productivity is up, the flexibility is appreciated and up, health and well-being is up, and that's a big deal for us. Are people reporting that they feel better, they're able to tend um, and find better work balance with that flexibility? The other thing we see, though, is isolation is up, and that's concerning. Mental health concerns are up. So we're, we're trying to piece that together and reconcile that with health and well-being, self-reported being better. I think we also have to be honest that innovation and spontaneity um, that often fuels innovation is down. A team's environment, a virtual environment, is a little more formal. It's not as casual. Some of the things that happened in hallways, in the meetings, after meetings, those casual conversations that would fuel and spawn insights that lead to innovation are a little more difficult to have happen. Now, that's not true in our hospitals and our clinics. I think in our hospitals and our clinics, some of the people challenge has related to fairness issues of, wait a minute, I have to, my, my work, I have to be on all the time. Why, why do some of my colleagues not need to be uh, present doing their work on, on site? Um, so we've got cultural issues that have been part of that lesson in leadership. I think the other uh, care delivery lesson as it relates to people um, and use of technology is um, we have expanded use of technology. Our patients have, have used video visits um, and our clinicians, particularly in the area of mental health, have found video visits to be a great way to expand access and to make it easier for people to get access to mental health visits in a timely and convenient fashion. So care delivery has fueled some innovation that has changed the way that we deliver care. At Health Partners, as I think about the lesson for moving forward, it's how do we pull forward the best of both? How do we take the lessons of what um, that flexibility means in a virtual environment and pull it into some of our on-site environments? We, we know that it's a best of both moving forward and it's not an either or. The third lesson, a lesson about place. And I think that lesson for me is really, you know, in, in healthcare, there's a lot, we're, we're highly regulated, there's a lot of public policy challenges that we face. Um, there's a lot of work we do as a large integrated system that we do on our own, partnership across our system. But I think one of the most important lessons from the last couple of years has been that our lane has expanded. It's not what it used to be, it's bigger. And the need for partnership across the community has never been greater. So the importance of, of working across tables, a couple of examples that come to mind. One is in the middle of the surge. Hospitals and care systems across Minnesota partnered and collaborated in an amazing way. And when I talk to colleagues in other parts of the country, they are amazed that our systems here partnered with each other and put together teams that cut across our organizations to make sure any patient who needed care in one facility, when we were full up, we were able to transfer and move patients literally across the state to make sure that people who had acute care needs weren't left unintended. 
Uh, now, it's, it's been a challenge. Our hospitals across this community have continued to be really full um, with patients boarding in emergency centers, and some of that collaboration has continued as we all strive to figure out how we make sure that people can access needed health care. Um, so I, I think that's been a lesson and makes me think, what are the other ways that healthcare systems need to partner moving forward together? Another outside our lane that's such a, well, why didn't you all think of this before, um, relates to vaccine equity. I don't know if any of you remember back in February of 2021 when the vaccine first came out and there was a shortage. We didn't have enough vaccine to go around. And at that point in time, and some days right now, it's hard to believe there ever was a shortage of vaccine as opposed to a shortage of people who want vaccinated. But back in 2021, that was the case. There were more people who wanted a shot in the arm than there were shots to go around. So as an organization, we had the responsibility to make sure that the people who would benefit the most from the vaccine who were at the highest risk were able to get vaccine. Um, and that meant that we had to, to, to essentially have rules that applied across the community um, in terms of making sure the elderly were able to va access vaccine first. And some of you might remember the staging of who could get vaccine uh, when and where. Well, at Health Partners, we have all long tracked our quality results um, by um, by race and ethnicity, so we could see when we looked into vaccination patterns that our elderly we were doing a good job at, but the other population that was at risk for more serious illness and disease were our communities of color, where the incidence of chronic illness and disease is greater at younger ages. And so it was an imperative for us to make sure we reached out to our patients of color to get them in for vaccination, and we ran into a lot of issues of, of mistrust. Why, you know, who are, who, why are you saying I need this vaccine, and I'm not sure I want it, I'm not sure I need it, and, and for us, it required us to get out of our usual lane, which would involve somebody in an exam room telling you you really ought to get the vaccine and here's why, here's the fact sheet to explain why. It required us to look across our 26 colleagues within and across health partners to say, who has access to different communities? What community do you come from? And can you help us reach into your community to help build trust so there's confidence around the vaccine? And one of the things I'm most proud of in terms of accomplishments across health partners is our vaccination rates for our patients of color is absolutely proportionate with the, the, the population. In other words, we do not have a vaccine equity disparities gap. And for those of you who are at all familiar with health equity gaps, that is something because um, the truth of the matter is when you look in our community, the greater Twin Cities, we do have healthcare disparities gaps on almost any other measure. So at Health Partners, we're thinking, okay, what did we learn about that vaccine equity lens and how can we take that and reach out and into community to make sure people get mammograms, colonoscopies, or colon cancer screening? What's the lesson there to help build confidence so that our kids get immunized before they show up at school? So um, the, the lesson about place is place can't be too place-based, whether it is administrative work or care delivery work. It really needs to be more 
community-based. And that leads me to my final and fourth lesson, which is about purpose. It's about mission, vision, and values. And that is, while conditions may change and crisis brings focus, if you have the right mission and visions and values, it helps guide you. The challenges don't test the values. They, they essentially cause you to reflect on your values and reassess and reconfirm why are you here, what do your patients and members need, what do your team members need, and how can you as an organization respond to that need in a proactive way. So for us in our boardroom, uh, we, in addition to our mission, vision, and values, we adopted a strategic plan midway through the pandemic. It has been a great um, source of guidance for us. I would say we, we have constantly reassessed it because as the environment changes, so too do aims and objectives. There are areas where we have moved farther and faster than I would have ever imagined we could. I would call out telemedicine. I would call out use of technology. Prior to the pandemic, if you would have told me that we could have our 1,800 physicians get trained on how to do a video visit in four days, I would have said that is nonsense. There's no way that can happen. But you know what? Um, a, 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 a crisis uh, breeds a, an impetus for it has to be done that way because that was the only way in the early days of the pandemic that we could deliver care. I would also say the, the, that lesson related to speed also relates to cadence post-pandemic. We're trying as an organization to reset and rebalance. You can't work in crisis forever. You can't, you, you need to stabilize and norm, and we need to find the right um, cadence for moving things forward so that our people um, feel resilient and are resilient and are able to move into this next phase um, and build better and brighter um, things than we have in the last couple of years, taking those lessons um, as, as we move forward. One of the things that, that um, oops, I'm gonna back up. That notion on purpose, See if I can get this up. Oops. I might need an assist. Or I can, yeah. So um, just in, in closing, the, the last slide I wanted to show you really relates to, to purpose. Um, and our effort at Health Partners, when you have 26,000 colleagues, some of whom are caregivers, some of whom are administrative folks, some of whom work in IT, some in HR and finance, a broad multidisciplinary team, really figuring out culturally how do we, we talk about our culture as head and heart together, bringing the best of what we know and our compassion for people and the reason that many of us have chosen to spend our career in healthcare um, to, to really reunite around passion and purpose and transferring that passion um, into partner for good. What's it mean to show up in community and partner for good? And we've really used this partner for good um, as an internal call to action to help our people reflect on, on the work that we do and the importance of the work we do in impacting people's lives, and then use it as a tangible reminder externally for our patients and members of what you can expect when you interact with us. It's an outward expression of our promise to the community to be a partner for good. And I think that the final lesson from 
the past couple of years is the importance of partnership and the importance of um, continuing to focus on um, the reason you exist, which is to care for and serve the people that are in your community when your mission is one of health and well-being. So I'm going to pause now. We have a little bit of time for, for Q&A. Um, maybe I whet your appetite with a few of those um, lessons, or if you've got other questions related to, to health partners or leadership and governance, I'd be happy to, to answer questions. And I think there's a mic at the back. Yes. If you want to raise your hand, I can walk this over to you. Hi, thank you very much. Um, I, I'm wondering, you, you, you place four principles or four lessons of to do as a result of the last two years. And I'm wondering if you can also share if you had any thoughts about the do not as a result of the experience of the last two years, of what lessons of what yeah. one should not do uh, in, in leadership positions. Yeah, and maybe um, some of them are derived within the, the four lessons. So as it relates to people and trust and managing polarities, I think that um, you know we're, we're in an era where no one wants to be told what to do. And so the science around vaccine doesn't matter if you don't have trust. And so uh, what not to do, don't you know, try to avoid telling people what to do. Um, you'll get farther faster if you can figure out how to get after the why. Why, why does it matter? Um, and, and how do you build trust? I also think um, many of the lessons of the last couple years around trust are how quickly trust can be broken. You can work so hard to build a lot of trust and goodwill, and it's really easy to break it. One of the things that concerns me right now is we have big staffing challenges in our clinics and in our hospitals. And we had staffing shortages going into the pandemic. When you look at the pipeline of the healthcare workforce of the future, and when you look at the number of jobs and the number of people in our community to fill jobs, we don't have enough. And that was pre-pandemic. So how do we redesign work um, to make sure that we take good care of our people? And I worry about the trust breaks when our patients, any one of you calls and are told you can't get in for a visit because we don't have an appointment for three weeks and you all are used to our same day promise or we'll get you in within a week. And so that we're, we're trying to figure that out. Hi Andrea, welcome Hi. back to the law school. Thank you. So proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, sure. Um, so um, thanks for, for that question. Um, I, uh, as, as, it, as Dean Jenkins said in, in um, my bio, I, uh, when I graduated from law school, I actually went into litigation practice uh, for my first few, few years of practice. And um, then I had an opportunity to move into public service and, and go to the Minnesota Health Department. Um, and, and serve in overseeing the regulatory part of the agency. So nursing homes, hospitals, HMOs, um, and, and the like. And that, and that was an era of great healthcare reform in the state of Minnesota. So Minnesota Care was passed in 92. And for me, it really opened up my love for public policy. I would say my business law class uh, with Professor Matheson gave me a keen interest in, in business. 
um, and in, in being engaged in the business community. And that, coupled with healthcare reform, really set me off on a, a trajectory to want to be engaged in health systems and in redesign of systems to better meet um, people's needs. And then I spent the last 28 years, really, at Health Partners in a variety of roles. And what I would say as a, a lawyer is um, I've, I've used my legal training throughout my professional life, although many of my roles were really not legal roles, and it's been important to be clear that I'm not a lawyer acting as a lawyer. I'm acting as a, a leader with good advice from my lawyers. Um, so I, I've had health partners insurance in the past. I've also been to hospitals owned by health partners. And so it's interesting that, you know, health partners sort of operates in this space where it's simultaneously a payer on the one hand, um, but also a provider. Um, and so I'm just wondering, you know, that's not exactly an intuitive structure. And so how, how do you sort of competently operate in both spaces and yet also have sort of internal safeguards um, to make sure that there's um, no, no conflicts there. Yeah, I, I love that question, and it really harkens back to how Health Partners was founded. We were founded by four leaders from the Twin Cities business community who came together with the belief that everybody should get access to, to care, and to get access to care, you got to figure out a way to pay for it. And the leading cause of bankruptcy back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s was bankruptcy was caused by health care. Healthcare bills left unpaid. And the sad reality is that is true today. I think for us, we're neither a health plan that owns a delivery system or a delivery system that owns a health plan, but truly an integrated system. About half of our revenues are care delivery, half of our revenues are health plan, and we are a care delivery system that contracts with other um, health plans. We are a health plan that contracts with other um, delivery systems, and I think that diversification helps um, us drive innovation and helps us work harder at containing healthcare costs because for many delivery systems, your focus can be on quality, but not necessarily as much on total cost of care or value. I think that's changing. You look at policy initiatives like Medicare Advantage, um, met the Medicaid program, increasingly recognizing um, there's a budget for health care, and if we don't have some sort of a budget for health care, it eats up all of our, our, our public sector spend for education, for other um, homeland um, needs and other needs abroad. So the health care Pac-Man just really necessitates having care systems that focus on finance, and I think we're a better health plan because we know and understand how to operate um, clinics and hospitals. I'm very impressed with your purpose-driven mission statement and values. Uh, burnout is everywhere, but particularly acute in healthcare. Yes. Have you found that that articulation of your purpose and reminder of it is something of an antidote to burnout where people have a larger cause that they're engaged in? I wish I could tell you today that we've solved it, and we haven't. But I will tell you when I talk individually, with people um, about why did you choose this field? Why do you like what you do every day? Um, why did you like it better than when we had such staffing shortages? People speak um, to the purpose and the desire to improve health and well-being. People speak to the desire to care for others, the desire to help people. Um, and, I, and I think that um, 
it's, it's the bet that we're making that purpose matters the most. And you look in the literature around health and well-being, um, and, and purpose is a driver. It's a long-term investment, though. It's not, a, it's not a marketing campaign overnight. Just remember your purpose and you're good. It's, it's like all health and well-being work, a journey. Thank you. pandemics and you mentioned the fact that our wonderful events coordinator thank you um, you you mentioned the twin pandemics you mentioned the fact that uh, for what I believe sounded like the first time uh, you there was a decision made to, to I think you the phrase you use get out of your lane and be involved in public policy related to issues beyond healthcare. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more, maybe take us inside the boardroom or the senior staff meeting and, and kind of help us understand how the, that decision was made and, and what the lessons were from that. Yeah, um, and actually it's reminding me a little bit that I didn't say about um, what we've done in the space of building an anti-racist organization in the last year and a half. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll comment on both the public policy piece and then more importantly, how do we organize our work within health partners and across the broader um, community to advance equity? Um, so we have formed a, a cabinet within our organization that's a group of leaders from across the organization, and we have four cornerstones that guide our work. The first is closing healthcare disparities gaps. And so we have a, a team of largely uh, clinical um, team members who are focused on how do we make sure everyone we provide care to um, gets access to, to high quality um, care and how do we close those gaps. We also have a focus on our own internal um, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Our, our 26,000 colleagues, we've all had code of conduct training um, or learning sessions, I would call them, as opposed to training, where we focus on bias. Um, and we've really tried to impress upon colleagues, it's work we all need to do individually. It's the pebble in the pond. If, if we don't all individually do a little bit of work, it's harder to connect that work across the organization and then across the bigger community. So we're making some progress in terms of our internal work to build inclusiveness, to build a more diverse team, and specifically a more diverse leadership team. And we set goals around that. We've also focused in St. Paul, um, on St. Paul as the largest employer in St. Paul. So Regents Hospital is the level one trauma center. Um, in St. Paul, we also have a number of clinics um, in St. Paul, the Neurosciences Center, um, our 401 and 435 specialty centers on Phelan Boulevard, and, a, and four primary care clinics. Virtuel, which is our online clinic, has its administrative offices, and we've got other administrative offices in, health part, in, in St. Paul. That gives us a special responsibility in St. Paul, and when we look at healthcare disparities gaps, St. Paul has some of the worst in the country. So our, you know, we're, we're holding the mirror up to ourselves saying, wait a minute, if we're a large care system in St. Paul and some of the worst healthcare disparities gaps are in St. Paul, what are we doing? And that's part of getting out of our lane, looking at the social determinants of health. What beyond 
the, the walls of healthcare lead people to be healthier or not healthier, and that leads to our fourth cornerstone, which is community partnerships and advocacy. And so we're looking at where and how do we partner in the community with organizations that can help us ensure that food insecurity is not an issue, that housing is not an issue. We're not a public health agency, but we need to partner with public health and we need to partner with organizations um, across the community. Frank, so frankly, the boardroom decision is our board is clear that equity needs to be work that is called out and elevated separately on its own so we know where we're at, and we need to make sure we weave it through everything we do. So we've developed a, an, an equity filter, if you will, that we're using internally to ask ourselves with respect to our policies, our practices, are they equitable or not? And so we've got this little toolkit that we've put together and are encouraging you know, sort of end-to-end -end in our organization to look at that. The question on public policy then really relates to if you're going to, what, what policies need to change to enable better health and well-being? We know we can't play in all spaces. Um, so we've tried to carefully um, decide where we play. The public safety letter, where did that come from? Well, um, the summer of 2020, we held a series of 16 listening sessions for colleagues across our organization, facilitated by the co-chairs of our equity cabinet, to have colleagues express their experience and what it feels like um, to be pulled over because you're black and driving to Regents Hospital to report in. Uh, what it feels like to walk down the hall um, and be asked uh, if, you're, if you are a housekeeper um, and can go get something when you are, uh, are you know, a, a physician or a nurse or any other role. And that's not to lessen the important role housekeeping plays, but more to get at the biases people carry with them around what your role is based on the color of your skin. And so I think for us in the area of public safety, those listening sessions our colleagues were saying, something has to change. It's not right that I'm pulled over. It's not right that, that safety, I don't feel safe at work. I don't feel secure at work. We need to do something. And so we decided as an organization, we should collaborate with others in that, in that space. Um, we've also weighed in before in early education. When we look at brain development, zero to three, those first few years of life are, are really important, so we've weighed in um, for state funding for Reach Out and Read, which is a program to make sure that all kids get a healthy start. Um, so so we're, we're looking at those places where we can either improve health and well-being or close healthcare disparities gaps. We have time for one or two more questions. Thank you for being here. I'm curious if you could speak to some of the decision making that your team went through in the early days, both of the early days of the pandemic and then as things rapidly evolved um, and you had to make changes or decisions about how to operate in a quick time frame and a very public time frame. Yeah, um, great question. Um, in those first early days, um, when, when everything shut down and we weren't sure how COVID spread um, and, and um, you know, our, our clinics, our hospitals stayed open, but clinics, you know, the, 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 everything shut down, um, which, which meant 
for our organization, like many other organizations, we had to send people home. That, that I think, was probably the most difficult decision we made. We made the decision not to lay people off, but we did furlough people um, with the thought that that was, at the time, the thought that that was a better thing to do than, than lay off. And because of the federal rules around um, eligibility for workers' comp and the like, that or not workers' comp, but um, Unemployment benefits, yeah. Unemployment benefits that financially for the, for the majority of our workforce, it would be better to be furloughed and able to collect that unemployment benefit. Um, I think the thing that, that um, so that's, you know, we were in, in the mode of how do, we, how do we help our people? How do we make sure that the organization is sustainable over time? If, you, if everything is shut down, you don't have any revenue coming in. If you don't have revenue come in, you don't have the ability to write paychecks for people and we're regulated. So th those discussions were really, you know, sort of um, leadership level discussions and boardroom level discussions on what do we do and how can we do it in a way where it causes the least disruption possible. I think the thing you learn you know, with the rearview mirror is um, that furloughing shakes people's confidence in whether they'll have a job when they come back from furloughing. Um, so I would say that didn't have the intended impact, um, honestly. Um, but you know, you, you, you learn as you go. Um, and I hope to never, I, I hope we're never in that situation again. Actually, I think it's helpful. The diversification is helpful um, from the vantage point of um, we were able to, to spend time and attention um, where it was needed, and we're able to, um, you know, uh, when, when our care delivery systems um, have a lot of, of need for focus on making sure people get the care, how can we use health plan resources to reach into community? And, and help support that. So I think that surround sound worked worked really, really quite quite nicely. Final question over here. Hi. Yes, I'm wondering that as you go through your day to day um, life working for health partners, what's the thing that you most look forward to when you get up to go to work? The people. Easy. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the people being surrounded by um, people that um, want to make a difference and are committed to the health and well-being, not only of the people that we serve today, but thinking longer term about how do we make things better um, for the future. The other thing I would say, having spent a career at Health Partners, is I love the multidisciplinary nature of it. And I think for many lawyers, that probably has appeal to you, the idea of being able to work with really smart people who are thinking at, about things and coming at things from, from different angles. Well, folks, we... We are at time. Please join me in thanking Andrea Walsh for an amazing lecture.
This podcast has been brought to you by the University of Minnesota Law School. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And subscribe to our YouTube channel for more Minnesota Law stories, news, and information. To subscribe to the official Minnesota Law podcast channel, please visit soundcloud.com backslash Minnesota Law or find us on your preferred podcast network. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the University of Minnesota or the University of Minnesota Law School. None of the content should be considered legal advice.